So um, tonight I want to talk a little bit about renunciation, which is a very long word, um, and it really means giving up, letting go, surrendering, and it's an extremely important movement in our spiritual life, not just for Buddhists. Um, I just was reading a song written by some uh, a Christian group uh, that I can't remember their uh, name. Actually, they were an American group, but they were um, praising simplicity. And they were saying that if you, in this song, if you uh, experience fully simplicity, everything somehow turns out right. That was the point of the song. It turns out right. So I want to, like I've uh, uh, talked about the paramis uh, before, um, there are different levels and there is, should we say, the conventional level, which will be more material. Then there is a more subtle level to do with our inner life. And then there is a more subtle level than that to do with the deeply spiritual understanding. And the same, as I applied this to all the paramis, the same with this parami. So I want to start with the um, first level, shall we say, um, which of course is material. And it's not, uh, it's something that has to be taken very, very seriously, especially because America is the mecca of um, the material uh, world view and um, consumerism um, was kind of invented here. <laughs> it's not that the rest of the world hasn't taken it up very, very happily, <laughs> so we can't blame anybody really, but it was a kind of invented here. Um, and in, ma in many ways uh, we all have too much. And it doesn't matter that we have a lot. It doesn't matter whether we have a lot or a little. What does matter is what it does to our mind. And what tends to happen is that the more we have, the more busy we are with what we have. That the mind shifts to a place where it says, if I have more, then I will be happy. And there's a basic psychological principle in the Dharma, in the Buddhist teaching, which is where you put your attention, that you become. Where you put your attention, that is what you become. And if you put your attention on, I need this and I need that in order to be happy, then you will be essentially devoted to what I have or what I don't have, or what I need, or what I'm missing, or what I choose, and you'll be busy with that. The problem is the busyness in the mind with that. And, um, and uh, it's a, it, very much in the Western world a cultural thing as well, that the culture is of needing, choosing, having, and we become human havings rather than human beings, <laughs> um, that we identify ourselves as having and having to have. 
and it, it is um, uh, uh, an, an issue, it's a burden for us, uh, and it doesn't necessarily make us happy. That sense of, we, if I have more, then I will be happy, doesn't actually make us happy. It makes us unhappy because we become devoted to what we have or we don't have. So that's where our attention goes. The Buddha said, before you start, in the Satipatthana Sutta, before you even start to practice spiritually, he says, give up fretting for the world. The word fretting means worrying about what I have. First, because otherwise you will not be able to really practice spiritually. You'll, the world will be invading all the time what I have, what I don't have, what I have, what I don't have. So the first step is give up fretting for the world, then sit and meditate. Now it's a kind of very strong movement. And of course the early Buddhists, in the time of the Buddha, um, they were renounced. The word renunciation in the texts actually means leaving your house, your family, your money, the whole lot, and going to the forest with nothing except four things the monks had. Robes, a bowl, medicine, and um, the fourth one, um, a roof of some kind over your head. That's all they had. And it's quite scary to think that uh, that's possible. And how would we do it? Can you imagine yourselves doing it? Giving up the lot? No house? No fridge? <laughs> no bank? No car? There's a story in the text of um, the, the Buddha and um, some monks were walking in the forest and they heard this incredible laughter and they didn't know where, what it was. Some voice, a voice of laughter in the forest and they, uh, the Buddha asked one of his monks, go and see where the laughter is coming from. And the monk went off and he came back and he said, there was a monk sitting under a tree and I asked him, why are you laughing? And he said, My, uh, I used to be a king of a whole kingdom and I had everything. I had treasures and I had a, a harem full of wives and I had soldiers and I had anything I wanted. But I was always anxious. I had to have my army sleeping outside my room and next to my bed because I was so frightened that I'd be assassinated by someone else who'd want all my kingdom. I could never be at peace. I had to have my army protecting me all the time. And I was constantly anxious. I left it all. I put on the robes. I went out into the homeless life. And now I'm sitting under a tree. I have the whole world. I feel utterly free and contented. And my mind is grazing, is, is wandering like a deer grazing on grass. There's a beautiful line there. And the Buddha used that line, by the way, several times in the text to indicate 
the freedom of the homeless life, that the mind is wandering like a deer grazing on grass. So that sense, the quality of freedom coming when we don't have a burden of a whole world of material stuff. It's interesting that um, I've had 30 years experience in the world of health, uh, herbal medicine and health products. And I used to work for many companies making uh, different uh, uh, herbal products. And I used to come to health shows in Anaheim in California and sometimes in Las Vegas. Um, uh, and even in the world of health, it, this uh, kind of mental uh, obsession, really, with what I can have to make me better, in this case, make me more healthy, creates a big illusion. Because if you really ask what is going to make you healthy, it's having less, not more. But the health industry is selling a lot of stuff by saying, actually, you'll be healthy if you have this and that, and this vitamin, and this supplement, and that supplement, and that herb, and that herb. And if you do that, you can have the food as well, and then cancel it out with some other supplement, which reduces the harm of the, that food and so on and so on and so on. So there's a kind of sense that if you have more, you'll be healthier, when actually for most people, it's having less is healthier. Uh, a, a Zen monk, a Zen teacher said, um, why should I let it go? Because if I don't, it all piles up. So letting go of this is an important, uh, an important um, movement in us. And the Buddha preached the middle way. The middle way is another description of the Buddhist teaching itself. And the middle way is a dynamic middle. It means not this extreme and not that extreme. And in the case of having, it means not to be... Uh, depending on a lot, but not to be an ascetic which depends on having nothing. In other words, you're busy, still the mind is occupied with nothing. What I mustn't have, what I shan't have, I must starve. And the Buddha had years where he really ate less and less and less and less and less until he became, he said, according to the tradition, he was having one grain of rice every day. And then he got thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and nearly died. And he let it all go. And a, a, a girl from the village uh, gave him, uh, uh, according to tradition, um, uh, rice milk, which is a beautiful dish that you have in India, a sweet rice milk. And he really enjoyed it and he got his strength back. His, comp his friends at that time said, you've lost it. You've broken your vows. But he said, no, there has to be a middle way here. And the middle way is not going too far in having and not going too far in denying, but somewhere in the middle. So it's not an easy one, but we all should really think about having less, because I think we've gone too far in the Western world into that. But as I say, in principle, if our mind is free, the actual, what we have is not the, not the problem, it's what it does 
puts us in a prison of having that's the problem. In principle, it doesn't matter if we have or we don't have, if one day we can be in a Mercedes and the next day in a on a bicycle. And it makes no difference to us whatsoever. Then it doesn't matter if we have the Mercedes or the bicycle. Um, we all need to be busy with that. I mean, to be aware of that. And there's a very nice story in, in uh, the Nasruddin stories, the Sufi stories, about a woman that comes to, um, uh, it's very relevant to this, a woman comes to Nasruddin and said, can you help me? My son is addicted to sweets, sweet things. So Nasruddin said, okay, come back in two weeks. Um, so she came back in two weeks with the son. Can you, can you now help my son get out of his addiction to sweets? And Nasruddin said, come back in a week. So she came back in a week with the son and uh, Nasruddin looked at the boy and said, give up sweets. <laughs> so the boy gave up on the spot. And the mother turned to Nasruddin and said, why couldn't you have said that the first time I came? And Nasruddin said, when you first came, I was addicted to sweets. <laughs> it took me two weeks. <laughs> if there's one thing the Dharma teaches, if you want to put it all in one single word, it is give up clinging. The whole thing boils down to that. Give up clinging. You can interpret the Dharma in a hundred different ways, but nobody, no teacher, no school, no direction, no vehicle, the Mahayana, the Zen, the Chinese, that doesn't matter where, nobody will dispute that. That the core teaching is give up our attachment, attachments. And that's why renunciation is a very important parami, is a very important movement in our life. Because it, no, it isn't just, of course, giving up, um, giving up uh, material things, or the, shall we say, attachment to material things, not necessarily the things themselves, but it's also about, it goes much deeper. It's... Um, creating a continuous non-attachment, non-clinging. And I mentioned one or two examples in the meditation. One of the big clingings that we have is the need to control. And it's fundamental to human beings that we need to control. But this produces huge amount of suffering. This is such a good example of where our tendency to cling creates suffering. We want to control others. Who doesn't want to control their children? And if they see their children going off and doing something that they absolutely don't agree, who doesn't say, maybe you should, maybe don't do that, maybe you go this way, my way. <laughs> and it goes on all your life. Sometimes, you know, you can be a kind of a clinging grandmother and or grandfather and still telling your children, 50-year-old children, maybe you, should, you don't do, maybe you do. 
<laughs> we want to control ourselves. We want to make sure we're healthy, we want to make sure we don't have a disease, we want to make sure we have the, 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 the comfort, we want to make sure we are free, we want to make sure we're enlightened. We want to control enlightenment. We want, to, uh, we want results. We want to make sure that if we meditate, we'll have a result at the end of it. If we go on retreat, we want to, have, uh, we want to get our money back if we don't. <laughs> I wrote a song once but I don't want to publish it. And it was from my nephew, who's a musician. And the, the refrain was, um, I didn't reach nirvana, give me back my dana. And we are one of the reasons that we are uh, we need um, to be active about renunciation is that we are afraid of letting go. We are afraid of not having control. We have a deep fear that if we if we let go of control, first of all, terrible things will happen to us. Secondly. If we let go of our attachments, the things we need in our life, and say, this is my life, I need this, I need my job, I need my house, I need my family, I need my this, I need all the stuff, the whole long list of things that we say, this is me, and we're afraid if we give something up of that, we, our life will be empty, or our life will be uh, boring, or our life will be minimal, that we won't have a life, or I won't be me anymore. And we can't understand, we can't... We, we, we're afraid. And yet, it is the universal experience that if you give up things that you say, I need to control this or I need to have that, when the giving up has happened, almost universally people say, actually, now I've done it, I feel lighter and freer. And this atmosphere of lightness, this quality of lightness, is what we experience when we give up including giving up control or giving up things we say, that's me, I must have, I must have it. One attachment I have is to my library. I find it quite hard to give away books, my Dharma books, and especially when I know that if once I give them away, I probably will never see them again, they'll just go off and, and people forget and so on. So that's attachment that I look at it somehow and I'm working on it. But it's my, uh, it's my library uh, that I kind of, uh, I, that's my attachment. But what I have done is I've decided that I will keep my library a certain size. So every time a book comes in, I can give a book away. <laughs> so at least that, but I'm confessing my attachment here. <laughs> um, so, renunciation is a sense of purposeful giving up. It is an act. And it's not an act exactly of struggle. Because we know that if we're trying to give up, for example, an addiction, we have an addiction to something, food, this, that, whatever. Um, 
library. <laughs> we have an addiction, addiction mostly to our patterns, to our habits, to our ways of thinking, to our views. I believe in this, I believe in that. That's an also a kind of a, an addiction to our patterns, to patterns of thinking. Um, holding on to, the, to dear life. To I gave a story last night uh, to the group um, about a period when I was, in a sense, addicted or uh, attached to my pacifism. Well, everyone would say, of course, pacifism is a wonderful thing. And, of course, you should be attached to pacifism. Still a view. It's still something you held on to. And maybe not appropriate in all situations. And freedom is better than att attachment to a view. Even attachment to pacifism. It can be a prison in situations. So, basically, uh, renunciation is not about fighting your addictions or struggling against your, um, your habits and uh, uh, your attachments. Fighting your attachments doesn't really work. You know that, that if someone is addicted to cigarettes or whatever, they, this voice that says, I mustn't smoke, I mustn't smoke, I mustn't smoke, is often just cementing the problem. And the reason is that you set up a fight around the issue and you're not free. You're still in the issue. Because now you've got to fight around it, but you're still there. Instead of that, the renunciation is an act of um, allowing these things to be less interesting. It's just not interesting anymore. It doesn't interest me. It's not important. It's not doesn't hold any interest. Uh, Joseph Goldstein once described it as you walk, you're driving along the freeway and you see a sign uh, that attracts you and um, you just say, I won't go, I don't need to drive down here and I don't need to drive off the freeway here and I just don't need to drive down there. I don't need that, that route and I don't need that thing. Just a sense in the mind of uh, not interesting. These things are not interesting. And of course it goes with the sense of what is interesting, which is the freedom that comes from renunciation. That's more interesting. How am I, am I, in, in, how am I when I don't have these things? And sometimes we need to practice this sense of things not being interesting. You could say a lot of meditation practice, vipassana practice, is taking something that is holding us in prison, like a... Uh, a judgmental mind. So much. I mean, who here doesn't have it? I'm sure we all do. The mind that judges ourselves, that says we should do another better, I should be better, or I should be this, or I should be that. Judgmental mind, or I'm no good at this, or it, it, things should be different. It's an attachment. And the renunciation, the process of renunciation, the process of vipassana, is looking at this judgmental mind when it arises and saying, okay, here's the judgmental mind. This is a narrative that I know. Here it is the 500th time. 
today. <laughs> um, but here it is, and here it's gone. And there it is, and there it's gone. And it's kind of arising and passing away. And it's not that interesting. Again, personal story, I used to have um, a problem, a fear, uh, in my earlier life of talking uh, in front of people, like I'm doing now. I used to have, when I was at university in uh, London, I was absolutely terrified of talking in front of students. I wanted to, the ground to swallow me up and just to drop down into the ground. I was, it was a terrible experience. I would stand there in front of the students and sweat pouring from my body, my mouth dry, my heart beating like crazy. Uh, I just felt so bad and uh, of course stammering came because of, I couldn't really talk properly because I was so scared and all that. It was really difficult to lecture. And, um, but I was already in the practice and I did two things. One is while on retreat I allowed the memory of that fear to arise in the safety of a retreat, sitting on the cushion, letting the memory arise, feeling the difficulty of it, feeling it in the body, feeling a little bit of heartbeat and a contraction in the stomach, okay, and remembering what it was like last time I was teaching, and uh, just seeing these phenomena as phenomena. And that's a key to uh, vipassana practice. Seeing them as phenomena, not as me, but as things that come and go and don't really have interest. they just phenomena that come and go. So practicing with that a lot, and then practicing also a little bit when I was just standing up in front of the students in the class, and just standing there and saying, okay, I breathe, I'm here, it's uh, in a way I renounce the fear. I just don't need this fear. It doesn't happen straight away. <laughs> it takes time. But um, there is in the Vipassana process, in the process of cleaning, purification, renunciation is an important movement. I don't need this. I don't need to get stuck there, and I don't need that. And it, and it, it needs that, that movement. And sometimes that, you know, that voice that says, I want, we just can counter it with another voice that says, actually, no, I don't need. When I was driving on the motorway, on the uh, freeway, I saw a big sign which was amazing to see it so clear. Uh, advert for McDonald's hamburgers that said, crafted for your craving. <laughs> I'm amazed to see it. I'm going to take that back. If someone can find it in a little, if anyone has it in maybe in some magazine where they, where they have McDonald's adverts and can cut it out and send it to me, I will paste it up for the Sangha in Israel. This is, this is your, you know, <laughs> your ultimate, your ultimate ad attachment slogan. Um, so, um, 
we explore the desire and the need and the sense if I have this I will be happy. We explore attachments and feel the pain in, the, in that place there. Feel that it is a prison. Feel how it gives us pain to have attachment and to want to have control and to want to, to, to have that voice in us that says, if I get this, I'll be happy. Just feel that pain, feel how that puts us in a prison. In a, again, the Buddha's castle. And um, uh, it needs us to do, uh, do this again and again and again. But don't forget that in a dynamic world, attachment is something that because of the attachment, we freeze things into something that we need or a repeat, repeating message in the mind. Things, we don't actually need to get rid of things because things go by themselves. If we really ask the question, do I need to dis, to dis Dis, uh, in un, get unattached to disconnect from things, if we ask the question really deeply, we can, we, we can answer that actually we don't really own anything anyway. What do we re can we really say that we own something? I mean, just kind of just go into that mind space. There is a thought in the mind that repeats itself and the person, the self, takes that thought and makes it a truth which says, I own the land that I bought because I paid money for it and I've got a piece of paper that says, Stephen Fulder owns this house. What is really going on? Do we really own a house? Is there real ownership that exists anywhere? Do I really own this body? Do I really own my children? My... What do we own? In a deep way, we actually don't own anything. The self is saying that. The self is turning around to the body. Oh, my body. The self is saying, my house, my car. Um, it happened that in the university in Haifa, in North Israel, um, my car got stolen. And um, it was a white Subaru that got stolen. It happened to be sitting next to another white Subaru that was exactly the same. Mine got stolen and the other one didn't. And I was contemplating that and said, well, if the other one was stolen, I wouldn't care. It was someone else's white Subaru that was stolen. If it was my white Subaru that was stolen, oh, oh, they stole my car. They're the same thing. The same thing happened. A white Subaru got stolen. If me, oh, terrible. If it was someone else's, no problem. <laughs> so it, it's this illusion that we own, that we have, that we, it's mine. It's an illusion. It doesn't exist in reality. It's the self that says it. 
But the, que- the whole issue of ownership is a big question mark. But, and that can help us to actually, in a way, be a bit freer. Um, so we can, it can help us to let go because we don't really own things anyway. If we understand that, it's easier for us to let go. It's easier, easy for us to let go to mind states that oppress us because we don't actually own them anyway. They arrive because of circumstance. They arrive because we've been wounded or we've been hurt or we've had parents that tell us we're stupid, we're no good, we're difficult, we're bad children, so that message gets repeated again and again in the mind, so we become judgmental. But it's just a voice that we're repeating that, that from somebody else just came in and we take ownership of that voice. I am no good. Who says I? The I takes that and takes ownership of that voice or that narrative. Um, But it doesn't belong to the I. It's just arrived because of experiences, conditions, things that happen. That's all. Belonging. The I doesn't, it, it doesn't belong so it's not mine. So I, I, don't need to, um, I don't need to carry it. The, um, there's a beautiful image in, from Ramana Maharshi, a great Indian sage, that says, uh, said, um, we are like a passenger that gets on a train with two suitcases. And he stands on the train and holds his suitcases and carries them. Why doesn't he drop the suitcases because, and let the train take him and his cases? <laughs> but we're like that. We don't let life... We don't drop things and just let life carry because we think we own the suitcases and have to hold the suitcases. Life can just take us and the, and the bags. The train can just take us and the bags. We don't really need to hold on and carry this stuff. Another way of looking at renunciation um, is to, in a way, uh, to let go of things that disturb us, or to let go of um, uh, to have a, to let go of the definition of the world that that must be good for us, to let go of the sense that things must be good for us, or things must be right, or things must be any certain way. Why should things be a certain way? They are as they are. But we have a need to have things a certain way. And therefore, we are constantly disturbed in our life. This disturbs us, that disturbs us, that disturbs us, that disturbs us. I was thinking about it because of um, um, the... uh, I was warned before I came that at 8 o'clock on Tuesday, we will be disturbed by the people in the AA group next to us. And I thought to myself, well, we are disturbed if we want to be disturbed. 
If we have this thing called we are disturbed, then we will be disturbed. But what can, what can disturb us? Actually, we can renounce that. We can renounce this thing called disturbance. I am not disturbed. There is noise, but noise is not disturbed. There's noise of the birds. Do they disturb us? No. The AA do disturb us, but the birds don't. <laughs> Who said that? The self says that. I decide that the AA disturbs and the birds don't disturb. <laughs> so the Buddha called that, um, and I talked about this in the uh, one-day retreat on equanimity, the Buddha called that um, the sense of seclusion or guarding. Guarding the senses or being secluded, not allowing things to disturb us because they don't need to disturb us. And uh, it, it's being open, being with life, not shutting ourselves down or keeping out things, but to be more with ourselves, with whatever is happening, to allow things to be what they are, but not to be disturbed all the time by everything. So, going a little deeper now, Renunciation, in some ways, is the basis of all the, like wisdom, is also the basis of all the other paramis. Because basically non-attachment allows all the paramis to, all the qualities in our life to be spiritual qualities. Um, we have maybe a, um, some generosity, for example, to our children, or to ourselves, but if we have with it renunciation or non-attachment, that generosity becomes universal generosity. We just allow ourselves to give and take. And I talked about that before. That sense of generosity being beyond boundaries. Let the world take. I give, to, I give also to my children, but also to the neighbor's children. It doesn't really matter. I give because I have something I can give. It, it, it's a flow. To be, to all the paramis chain, become paramis because of non-attachment. Not being full of me and mine, what I need, what I have, what I have to control, what I am attached to. So renunciation is actually a basis for all the paramis. Letting go of the need to look after me and mine. And then everything that we do, every action that we do in life becomes different. We can allow generosity, because it doesn't... Why can we be generous? Because it's not ours in the first place. Is it really ours, this dollar in the pocket? Is it ours? Do I have it? Can I say, really, it's mine? It just comes and goes. It comes and I pass on, like water. Comes and goes, comes and goes, like everything else. So. Uh, that understanding, that core understanding as a, a life principle frees us to be the Bodhisattva. Frees us to express these paramis in life because we're not attached to me and mine, what I need, what I want, what I want to control, what I ought to have. The, the renouncing of a self-center of me
it has a very important spiritual uh, aspect because we all want outcomes for what it is that we do. We want to have a result. And we all want a result. And why not? And we want, you know, we make an effort, we come here to this hall and we meditate, we come out of our house, we drive in the car, we make an effort um, and we want to have some result, even subconsciously, even delicately. We sit quietly, maybe your back is hurting and maybe the knees are hurting and you've got thoughts and you still have to sit and maybe you want to... So you want a result. And one of the most subtle aspects of renunciation is that actually if we want result from our spiritual, uh, and a spiritual practice, we are still in the same mind of me wanting results, of me wanting to control, of me wanting an outcome. And it's quite a difficult thing and very subtle to kind of move that because the truth is we are all Buddhas inside. We are all inside somewhere Buddhas and what's stopping us is in a way the wanting, even the wanting to be a Buddha, even the wanting to be somebody else, wanting to be better, wanting to be freer, wanting to be someone else, wanting to control again, wanting to have an outcome, wanting... So the Buddha was very wise about this. He said, look, don't worry about desire. Um, desire for awakening is a good desire to have. Uh, and um, it's better than a desire for McDonald's. <laughs> desire for awakening is helpful because it puts you on the path, but slowly you have to renounce that desire. Because awakening is not in our hands. It's not in the hands of the self to make a deal with life saying, if I sit X hours, then I expect awakening. It's much more like the Christian word and Jewish grace. Enlightenment is an accident. All we can do is become more accident prone. That's a, a Zen, uh, famous Zen quote. So renunciation is very important in the spiritual life as a way of letting go from, of outcomes, letting go of pressure, putting ourselves under pressure is attachment. And it's, n and it's really not an easy one. And we're all in the same place because it's very, very deep. We want to be free. And this wanting, hopefully, slowly, it gets less and less and less. And we begin to realize that we are inherently free. The freedom is in our nature. And it's covered over by the wanting, by the restlessness, by what I don't have, by what I need, by the self by protection, by fear. So, um,
we can just feel a sense of surrender. We do our spiritual practice and we just give the results to the world. We do our spiritual practice without expectations. We do what we need to do without trying to make deals with God. That if we do this, then we'll get that. And, uh, but bearing in mind that it's fine to have that sense of spiritual longing or desire is fine. But slowly, slowly, we can let it get less noisy in the consciousness or less um, attached to it. And then practice becomes more spontaneous and more natural. And life becomes more spontaneous and more natural because we're not uh, filling it with conditions and control and, and so on. There's a beautiful text about the Bodhisattva. And the Bodhisattva is a Mahayana figure who abandons enlightenment for the sake of um, a, a total commitment to enlighten all other beings. Every ant, every bird, every person, every cat, every dog, every fish. He will not rest until all beings are enlightened. So this beautiful text that says, um, um, <clears throat> if you ask the Bodhisattva, after he has brought all beings to enlightenment, all people, all animals, all fish, all birds, all insects, they all become enlightened. If you ask him, who did it? He would say, I don't know. If you ask him, how did you do it? He would say, I don't know. It just happened. It's an example of the way that without clinging or attachment, things become more spontaneous for us. Things become more natural and easy. We are less pr pressured to have outcomes, to have results, to have consequence, to do this, to make deals. I've, I sit, I have a retreat, I want to have that clarity. I have this, I need that freedom, etc. Um, we let things become more playful. The um, Tibetan uh, Dakini, the, 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 the playfulness of sp the spontaneity of things is in the image of these dancing girls in the Tibetan uh, icon iconography called Dakinis. They're just like play of things. <laughs> things happen by themselves. Um, so it's just an image of, uh, I, I, I like the image um, of this uh, dance, of things just dancing. Um, we, um, the importance of surrender is often underestimated, especially in the Western world, where we put ourselves under pressure f for a spiritual uh, outcome. Um, and sometimes we do retreats when we do a lot, a lot of lying down. And the reason is um, to let go, to teach surrender, to teach something in the body even, of surrender, of no expectations, 
So we do maybe whole retreats where there's hours and hours of meditation lying down. And yes, people go to sleep at the beginning and so on, but then after a while that sorts itself out. And there is this wonderful sense of letting the practice take me. Just letting it take me and not making demands of the practice, which is so much our conditioning and the self, the conditioning of the self. So I want to end with a, a small uh, quote from Rumi. Rumi says, find the real world and give it endlessly away. Grow rich by flinging gold to anyone that asks. Live at the empty heart of paradox. I'll dance with you there, cheek to cheek. I meaning God. I will dance with you there at the empty heart of paradox. So let's just take one or two minutes to uh, contemplate. And I want to invite you all first of all to make an inner commitment something that is imprisoning us that we have that's too much that we don't really need make an inner commitment I am ready to let it go whatever it is in our own life think of something that is in some way imprisoning us something we really don't need the extra that we be, be better off without. And it can be a material thing or it can be an un, a habit or an addiction. And just make an inner commitment right now. I can do without that. And now go a step deeper into the level of mind and heart and bring up something deep in us which puts us under pressure where we expect outcome or we expect something from life or from ourselves and just again a quiet commitment actually I don't really need that It doesn't really belong to me anyway. I will let it go. I can be free of it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.